Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. I was never a big fan of motivational things like, you know, motivational videos and and motivational speeches and all this kind of stuff, affirmations. I was never a fan of it until recently, last couple of years. I started listening mostly on YouTube. I'll type into YouTube like motivational speeches and you can find some great stuff. There's a guy named Eric Thomas that I love listening to for inspiration. And I'll just preface this by telling you, and, and I'm, I'm going to caution you, that he's a sort of an in-your-face motivational speaker. He yells a lot. It's a lot of challenging you and that kind of thing. But I get so jazzed up when I listen to him. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your time, guys. We have so many people and places and things, and they're just trying to pull our attention. I get it. It's There's so many things you could be doing right now, and so many things you could be listening to or watching, and you're choosing to be here, and I, I don't take that lightly. I think it's awesome, and I'm honored and privileged that you're doing that. And then to that end, I have another show for you that I think is going to be phenomenal. It is another one of our Wednesday replays that I think are just awesome. I'm so excited about doing these. And you guys are voting with your downloads and in your listens and your feedback. And so thank you for giving me that insight so that I know what I should be doing and what I should not be doing. And this is definitely something I should be doing. In this episode, in this Q&A, we talked about a, a lot of stuff. We talked about my best lead sources, both when I started real estate and what my best uh, lead sources are now. What am I doing that's working and bringing leads into my business right now? Also, I talked a little bit about where I get inspiration and motivation. What do I listen to? What do I watch? What is it that gets me revved up to take on the day? And I shared some of those uh, things that, frankly, I've never talked about. Uh, it's not that they're private. I just haven't spoken about them. So it's something I've never spoken about. And I, I kind of give you some insights into how I do that. And then we talked about hoarder homes, whether or not those are worth pursuing if it's more trouble than it's worth. Um, and so uh, we talked a lot about that and I have some very strong thoughts about that. And then we talked about contractor down payments. What should you be giving a contractor? How much should you give them down? And how do you know how much to give them and all that kind of stuff? And how do you avoid giving them too much, right? So we talked a lot about that and they're all answered in this episode. I'm excited about it and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So I won't I won't get in the way of it anymore. I'm gonna let you hear it right now. Here we go with my latest Wednesday Q and A. All right, I am here live with you again. It is Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and I am here on my Q&A. I used to call this my Facebook Q&A, but guys, if you're watching this on LinkedIn, if you're watching it on Instagram, if you're watching it on YouTube, you know that it's not just on Facebook. Maybe you're here on Facebook because you're used to seeing me on Facebook. That's awesome. If you'd prefer to watch it on YouTube or somewhere else, I'm there too, and I couldn't be more excited about it. This allows me to reach so many more people, and I'm really excited that I was able to incorporate this technology into this Q&A Live. And all the questions that you ask on any platform, wherever you're seeing me, it all aggregates into one spot so I can answer your 
questions. Again, if you're, if you're new to this Q&A, if you don't know who I am, my name is Mike Simmons. I am a real estate investor in Michigan. I started investing in real estate in 2008. And I uh, I did okay. I struggled, though, for the first handful of years trying to do it all on my own. I finally figured some things out. I got a mentor. I got a coach. I joined a mastermind. And my business blew up. And I was able to go from doing just a deal or two here and there to doing 10, 12, 15, and even over 20 deals in some months consistently. I was able to build that consistent machine that started producing seven figures in profits for me. And I've been doing that for several years. In addition to me doing it, which is one thing, right? It's always nice when you can build your business up and do that. But I've been able to help others replicate my success in their business. And I've helped hundreds of people do that, build six and seven figure businesses in their own markets, doing it themselves. I can give them the tools to do that. <clears throat> if you would like the tools, if you would like me to help you do the same thing and you want something beyond this Q&A that we do every week, if you need a little bit more deeper level coaching and mentoring, I'm available for you to do that. All you have to do is go to sevenfigureinvestor.com. That's the word seven, not the number, the word seven spelled out, sevenfigureinvestor.com. I have developed a very, very affordable program for anyone who wants to take their business to the next level. I also wrote a book called Level Jumping, and it talks about what I did to build my business from doing, like I said, just a few deals here and there to building it into a seven-figure business. And I took that book and a lot of the concepts in that, and I really dove deep into all of them. And I created my course called The Seven-Figure Investor. And that's exactly what I, what I want to help make you is a seven-figure investor, and it can be done, guys. There is a process. There is a formula that is repeatable. Everyone has a unique situation. I get that, and that's why the course is live taught. I'm going to be there for you every single week to answer specific questions that you're having, but what I'm able to give you, the information I'm able to give you during that time will absolutely set you up to be a seven-figure investor and build that business. And maybe most importantly, to not make you a slave to it. I don't want you to be running around 80 hours a week like a hamster uh, on a hamster wheel. I want you to have your time back, your time, your freedom of time. That's super important. <clears throat> okay. Let's dive into today's questions. Let's talk about, you guys send me these questions all week long. We bring them all into here so we can answer them for everyone. If you're here live, you can ask questions and I'll answer them. Uh, but let's dive into the first question that I have gotten for this week. All right, I'm going to put it up here on the screen for those of you watching. The question, I am a beginning wholesaler and have a few questions. What's your best lead source when you started out? What's your best lead source now? Where do you get your marketing lists from? Okay, um, it's a great question. Uh, I started out getting my leads from the MLS. Now I'm going way back to like before my business really blew up. When I first started, my best source was the MLS. But remember, it was 2008, 2009, 2010, like the early years for me, there were a lot of foreclosures. There were a lot of people just dumping their houses, walking away from their houses, whatever. <clears throat> and so, Going on the MLS and buying like foreclosures and things like that were, was really, really easy. It wasn't a matter of how do I find deals. It was more a matter of how many do I want to buy this week or how many do I want to buy this month? So getting a deal, finding deals was so much easier back then. And I was using the MLS. At some point when it got a little bit more challenging to find on the MLS, matter of fact, a lot more challenging, I went to direct mail. And that was the first time when I went to direct mail, 
that I felt like I had a real process and a procedure. It was also four or five years in that I started doing direct mail. I was doing all MLS before that. And I was hitting, I was at some point, you know, three or four years in, I was starting to bump up against this problem where I couldn't find deals on the MLS. And matter of fact, nobody in my market was finding deals on the MLS. And we all had to find other ways of doing it. And I went to, um, Direct mail. That's what I used. And it worked great. Direct mail was phenomenal back in 2014, 2015, 2016. And even a few years later than that, it worked out well. And that's what I was using MLS. And then I transitioned to direct mail. And direct mail was what I was doing and what helped me blow up into a seven figure business. And that's where the vast majority of my deals came from for a long time. You ask me where the best source is now. My best source of leads now is. Uh, Google AdWords, pay-per-click. So I use pay-per-click in my business. Uh, we have a budget set up for that. We bid on words, just like that's exactly what pay-per-click is. It's an auction system where you basically have a budget and you automatically, you can, you know, automated, you can set it up to bid on certain key terms when people type in things like sell my house fast in Michigan is where I'm from. We show up on that um and that result, and we show up at the top because we're we, we're an ad. So when you type something into Google, a lot of times the first you know four or five responses or results there on top are paid ads. Okay, and so we show up there really really close, either one or two usually every single time someone searches, and that's where <clears throat> we're getting the vast majority of our leads now. And the great thing about a pay per click lead is it's someone who was looking for you. They want to sell their house. They went online <clears throat> and they typed in something to the effect of sell my house fast. And, and that's how they found me. And so when I call them or when they fill out a form and I reach out to them, they're expecting to talk to me. They want to talk to me. And that's a really good thing. That means most leads are much stronger and more likely to end up being a deal than direct mail is a lot of time. Direct mail, you're reaching out to people who didn't ask for you to reach out to them. They're not telling you they want to sell, but you're reaching out to you know thousands and thousands and thousands of people every month, hoping that a couple of them will be interested in selling. And, and it does work because like I said, I built my business up to over seven figures and, and maintained that for years using direct mail as my primary marketing strategy. And, and direct mail still works. It is still a phenomenal way of getting deals. And I know a lot of people getting all their deals from direct mail. Nothing wrong with that. We just found for us, we started optimizing some of our ROI and our marketing and our ROI on our people, right? Like what are, what's the best use of our time? And we decided to lean into pay-per-click right now in the current market, the way things sit, that's what we did. COVID dictated some of that. When COVID hit, People stopped opening up mail as readily in my market as they had in the past. Matter of fact, that's even an understatement. People stopped touching their mail. That's the reality. For about six, eight months, people were having a real difficult time um, reconciling the risk that they perceived of touching mail that had been touched by somebody else who might have COVID. And that's, you know, it may sound silly now, but that was the reality back in the beginning of COVID in Michigan. And so we, we transitioned during that time. And it's not that we made a conscious decision to not use direct mail. We just did what the market and what the market conditions and the world conditions dictated was the best thing. And we've never really transitioned fully back to direct mail because pay-per-click is still working really, really well for us. And it just works out for us right now with our personnel, the way we're set up, the way our, our business is structured, that's the way we're doing it. Um, so pay-per-click is working best now. And you ask where I get my marketing lists from, 
Uh, primarily, we get them from List Source. You can go to listsource.com, and that's where we're getting most of our lists. When we pull a list, that's typically where we're getting it. And I love List uh, List Source. I've been using them for years and years and years since I started pulling lists. I know a lot of investors, most investors I know, use List Source. It's a great resource. It's a great place. Very reliable. I love them. I would recommend that you use them too. <clears throat> okay. Let's move on to the next question. Uh, next question, pop it up on the screen, is who do you watch or listen to when you need some motivation and inspiration? It's a great question. And this is something I, I was never a big fan of motivational things like you know motivational videos and, and motivational speeches and all this kind of stuff, um, affirmations. I was never a fan of it until recently, last couple of years. And I started... Um, I started listening mostly on YouTube. I'll type into YouTube like motivational speeches uh, or motivation, and you can find some great stuff. Let me see real quick if I can pull something up, um, and I'll try to do this fast. But this is this is live, so I want to be really really quick here. But I'm going to pull this up because I do have uh, some people that I think are really really great, and I'm struggling to remember them right now. And maybe this isn't the greatest idea I've ever had in the world. Uh, but let me see if I can pull up, uh, let's see, let me try this. This is really bad for uh, my podcast. I realize that. Okay. Eric Thomas. Here we go. There's a guy named Eric Thomas that I love listening to for inspiration. He's actually uh, a Michigan native. Um, and I'll just preface this by telling you, and, and I'm, I'm going to caution you, that he's a sort of an in-your-face motivational speaker. He yells a lot. It's a lot of challenging you and that kind of thing. But I get so jazzed up when I listen to him that I just love listening to him in the morning to get me started, to get me revved up. If I'm not really feeling motivated that day or not feeling like I want to get into it, I listen to uh, Eric Thomas. And if you Google him or go on YouTube and check him out, super powerful motivational speaker. I just love listening to his stuff. So that's what I listen to. Um, sometimes I'll listen to people that I think are really amazing. I like Gary Vaynerchuk. I think he's really inspirational. Um but that's, that's pretty much what I listen to for inspiration. And sometimes I'll just type motivational speeches or motivation into YouTube, and I'll listen to random or watch random YouTube videos that are motivational speakers. And sometimes they're like celebrities, Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone or you know um, Denzel Washington and, and some of these folks that have some, real, they have some really good stuff out there that they've done that I listen to. And it really helps me. I think it's super motivational. I love it. It's a good kick in the butt in the morning to get me going. Very difficult to say, I'm not feeling it, I'm not in the mood, I'm too tired. When you listen to someone like Eric Thomas, it just, you can't have those thoughts after listening to him. So it gets me really, really going in the morning. Okay, next question. Uh, okay, flipping question. I just went to a hoarder home and couldn't even go inside. It was full of crap. <laughs> yeah, they are. I do have the wholesaler's pictures, but this would be a total gut. I don't know if I should make an offer on it or walk away. Make an offer on it. Hoarder homes are fantastic, fantastic uh, investments where you can make a ton of money. Because it's a hoarder home, your your thought process here that you know you asked me your last part of your question. I don't know if I should make an offer or walk away. Guess what? 
There's a lot of investors who are having the same dilemma. They're like, I don't know, maybe I should, maybe I should walk away. And a lot of them are going to walk away, which makes this a great, great opportunity for you. <clears throat> now, hoarder homes, the biggest problem or one of the problems with them is the clean out, right? But the great thing about a hoarder home is cleaning out a house is not that big of a deal. When you have a house with mold or foundation issues, that can be scary to a lot of people. And a lot of times for new investors, I recommend they do walk away from those because what has to happen to make them right can get really pricey. And if they didn't really budget it properly, it can cause real big problems and they can lose money. And so sometimes I, I do tell newer people who I get the sense this is all kind of new and scary for them. If there's a major foundation problem or a major mold issue, I might just say, listen, steer clear of this one. But a hoarder home is just cleaning. You could hire someone off Craigslist for a couple hundred dollars to go in and just take everything out of there. The other thing about a hoarder home that people don't always think about, you know, there can be things underneath the pile of crap that is a problem. I get that. But a lot of times what's underneath the pile of crap is well-preserved carpeting or well-preserved floors or you know, whole areas of the house that are in pristine condition, but no one's gone in. They're in pristine condition because no one's gone into those parts of the house because they can't get to it. And so I bought a house one time. It was a, a colonial and it was all hoarder, right? It was all hoarder stuff, but the hoarder crap only went up halfway up the stairs. So the whole lower level was full of crap, we didn't know what was going on in the upstairs because no one could get to it. But once we started clearing it out and we cleared off the stairs, we realized, holy moly, the upstairs was in pristine condition. It was like a museum quality condition because nobody had been up there in decades because of all the crap on the stairs. No one could get up there. And so it was dated. We still had to pull out the carpeting and we still replaced everything, but... It was clean as a whistle other than dust, right? But no one had touched it. The floors and the carpets, once they were carpeted, were like brand new. Unfortunately, they were super dated, but still, everything was in great condition where sometimes you worry that, you know, things happen in parts of the house that you can't get to. When it's a hoarder's house, sometimes they even went into those rooms. And so there's no wear and tear. It's like the doors were perfect. They opened and closed great. There were no dents. There were no drywall damage. The walls and everything were in perfect condition. They just needed a little fresh paint and some new, new carpeting. So I would not avoid a, a hoarder's house. I would absolutely go for that because cleaning out a house is not a major problem and rarely does it turn into something that turns out really, really bad that's going to cost you a lot of money. It's just junk usually. And so you pay someone off Craigslist a couple hundred bucks to get in there. You buy a, a um, you know, a dumpster for a couple hundred bucks and you're done. It's, it's pretty simple. So I would not avoid a hoarder's house at all. Um, I would go for it, man. Just, just, you know, you got to factor in the, you got to factor in the cost of cleaning it out. You know, maybe it only costs you maybe a couple hundred bucks to clean out a normal house. Maybe a hoarder house is going to cost you a thousand dollars, maybe, but just budget that in appropriately and, and you're fine. I, I would, I think hoarder houses are great because some people have the same, you know, reaction you do. Oh, I'm going to walk away from this. It's a lot of stuff. Who cares? It's just, it's just clutter. Like clutter can be removed. Clutter is not expensive to get rid of. So I would go for it. All right. Uh, let's see. Next question. Uh, all right. Okay. We're kind of flying through this. This is going to be a shorter episode, I think, because these are pretty straightforward questions and pretty easy. So let's see. Next question. I have a contractor for a flip that is awesome. 
Only problem now is that they are requiring a 30% deposit to get started. Any tips on how we should tackle this? Yes, do not give them 30%. That's number one. Um, 30% is on the absolute high end of anything I would ever give a contractor to start out. And honestly, I would only do it if I had a ton of experience and background with this person. I would not... Even if I had that nowadays, I, I just wouldn't give 30%. It's too much. Nobody needs 30% to get started. And what they're going to probably tell you is, <clears throat> excuse me, that they need the money down to buy materials and get a dumpster. What I would suggest is you get the dumpster. You, they tell you where, to, where they go to get dumpsters. You secure the dumpster and maybe tell them to go to Home Depot, get all the supplies like on a PO or something, and then you call in with a credit card so that you can get that. I would not give 30% of the renovation down payment to a contractor. The only exception maybe is if the if this is the whole renovation is $10,000 and they want $3,000 up front. I mean, that that's a little more reasonable, a little bit, and <clears throat> they might need it for labor because they, they do have to pay people to go in and do stuff. But the problem with contractors that need huge down payments, one of the red flags associated, other than just the fact that they might you know, skip town with your money. That's obviously the biggest concern. The other concern is if they need 30% down, that means they're not usually really good money managers. They are always flat broke. They never have money to float some of the labor until they get the first check. They should be able to do clean out and demo and pay the labor for that for the first week or so on their own. And then you reimburse them because you want to get into a model and not only you want to, you have to get into a model with renovation where maybe you pay them a little bit up front, maybe. And then they do renovation and demo and clean out and all, not renovation. They do demo and clean out and all that stuff. And then they do a little bit of the work and then you pay them for all that. So you want to get into a model where they do work and then you pay them for that work. You're paying them after the work is done. That's the way you want to go. That way you can never really be at risk with your money because you don't give them money until they've already done the work and you know it's done. So if they say, hey, I want you to paint me or pay me because we got the cabinets in and we installed them in the kitchen, okay? Great. You go there and you look or you have them send video and you can see the cabinets are installed. There they are. They're installed. Good. You cut the check and you pay them. You don't pay them when they say, hey, we're going to order cabinets and install them next week. I need you to pay me for all that now. No, they do the work, they install stuff, and then you pay them. Like I said, in the beginning, if you have to buy some materials, like you buy it, they tell you what to get, or they, they set it up at Home Depot, and you just call in, and they tell you what's on the invoice, and then you pay it, that's great. You can do that too, so you're not just giving them the money. But you should not be paying for anything until it's purchased in your house or the work is done. So if they want you to pay for painting the inside of the house, and they say, well, we painted the living room. We haven't painted the rest of the rooms yet. We're going to do it this weekend, but I need you to pay me for all the painting. Nope. Nope. You can pay them for the living room, but that seems like a dumb amount of money to, to cut. And by the way, if they want you to cut a check for just the paint in the living room and they haven't done the rest of the house and they're like, yeah, the paint in the living room is $300 and I want you to pay me for that right now, that's a huge red flag. That means they can't even float $300 without getting a check from you. That is a big problem. Big, 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 big red flag. I would be very concerned about that. You want your contractors to finish whole parts of the project, 
show you the work, document that it's done, and then you pay them. That's the way it should work. And what I would suggest is set up a routine with your contractors where you pay them on Fridays for work done that week. So you pay them on Friday for the work they did Monday through Friday, or maybe Sunday through Friday, or however you set up your week. And then at the end of the week on Friday, you pay them for what they did that week. And they should tell you ahead of time, this coming week, we're going to set all the cabinets and we're going to uh, prime and paint the walls of the house. You go on Friday, you see the cabinets are all set, the walls are all primed to paint, you pay them. Because you do it that way, they're going to tell you what they're going to do. You guys agree on what that cost for that portion of the renovation is. And you're ready with your check on Friday. If they call you on Friday morning and say, I'm not going to be done, then you say, fine, I'm just not going to pay you this week. I'll pay you next week. If you get all that done on Monday, whatever else you're going to do that week, let me know and I'll pay you on Friday for that work. And you train them to expect payment on Friday, but you also train them to do what they say they're going to do. If they say they're going to get the cabinet set and the paint done on Friday and they don't, and you don't pay them on that Friday they know, crap, I've got to wait a whole nother week for this work that I was supposed to get done. And they will learn to start getting the work done on time. And that's what you want. And in the other side of it for them is, what a great system for them. They get paid every Friday. That makes it so much easier for them to pay their guys and to know what to expect rather than, oh, it's going to be a month before I can get any money and then I have to pay my guys myself for four weeks. No, we don't want them to have to float all this money if they don't have to. We'll pay them every Friday. But the agreement is if I give you a check every Friday so you can get your guys paid and everyone's happy, you just have to do what you say you're going to do every week so I can pay you on time on Friday. That's the way to go. That's the system you want to get into with your contractors. But paying them 30% up front for what? How long is it going to take them to finish 30% of the job? It depends on how big the job is, right? But you know, let's just say it's a two-month job. Like 30% of the payment means that's going to float them for like three weeks. Why are you paying them three weeks ahead of time? If it's just materials, you buy the materials that they need at first. If it's labor, why do they need the first three weeks of labor paid up front? They don't need that up front. It hasn't happened yet. You shouldn't pay for things until it's already happened with the with the only exception being paying for things a little bit up front, like the labor it's going to cost for the demo and for the clean out. That, that maybe, maybe, but I would want to get into a, an agreement with your contractor where they cover all the upfront stuff and then you pay them after it's done. So if they can't float that first week of demo or whatever it is, like that's a little, that's bad, man. That's on them. That's bad management on their part. They should be able to float that. You pay them at the end of the week for all the demo they did and boom, they pay their guys and they're good. That's the way it should work. So be really, really cautious about upfront money. And I know a lot of contractors do need it. And I'm not saying never pay anything down. What I'm saying is don't pay 30% and certainly don't pay more than 30%. Like I think depending on the size of the project, right? Imagine if this is a $100,000 renovation, paying 30% up front, $30,000, you're just begging them to run off to Vegas and never call you again. Like you don't give people that kind of money. If the renovation's, you know, $5,000 total renovation and they need $1,500 up front, I would probably do that. $1,500, not a big risk. And they probably do need some money up front to kind of get things going. That's fine. But most renovations, most normal flips are going to be in that twenty dollars to $30,000 range. They do not need six to eight grand up front. They just don't. And if they say they need it for materials, like I said, you buy the materials at first, you know, the first few bits of material that they need until they get caught up. You want to pay for things that are done 
and you want to pay them every Friday. That's the that's the the structure I would be setting up and going for. Okay, guys, that's it for this week. Um, a little bit of a shorter uh, episode, but that's fine. I think it's good, actionable stuff, and it can kind of get you moving forward. Again, if you want to work with me, if you want 2022 to be a great year for you and your company, if you're sick of just finding leads here and there, and you're trying to scramble to figure out where you're going to get money, and maybe you know you've been turned down by the bank for funding, or you've been turned down by hard money lenders, and you just don't know what you're doing wrong, and you don't know how to find those deals, and you're worried that the market we're in is just too hot. Maybe I'll wait to start my business or to ramp my business up. Forget about it. Don't wait. Now is the time, guys. Right now is the time to get this going. And I know how to do it. I'm ready to tell you, you just have to self-select. You have to raise your hand and say, Mike, I want you to help me with my business. And you do that by going to sevenfigureinvestor.com, signing up. The, the program starts soon. I want to see you in there. I want to help you guys. We can make this happen this year. You just have to raise your hand. Okay, guys, we'll see you next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.